Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Melanie Pizer lives in Addison County and works in international development. She has an eye for data. So as the coronavirus starts affecting Vermonters, she starts spending a lot of time looking at data online. You know, this is sort of amateur sleuthing. And early on, I started to become alarmed that it seemed like we had a particularly high death rate compared to our known number of cases. And then she hears about something Vermont's Commissioner of Health, Mark Levine, said about the death rate during a press conference. This was late March, when Vermont's first nursing home outbreak was underway. Here's Levine. For many in that population, the goals of care, due to other conditions that were sometimes cardiac, sometimes dementia, etc., the goals of care were not aggressive treatment in a hospital or ICU setting. Because many of these nursing home residents had other serious conditions, Levine said they had already told their doctors not to take extreme measures to try and save their lives. These goals of care are often documented in what's called an advanced directive. And at that press conference, Levine said only one of that nursing home's seven COVID-19 deaths had occurred in a hospital. So I think that makes our numbers look worse And then, you know, this question has been kind of ruminating in my mind. Is that the reason that we have such a high rate? From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy, back again with my colleague, Emily Corwin. Hi. So when Melanie first wrote in, she asked this question, which you listeners voted for. Actually, do you want to read it, Angela? (laughs) Sure. Public data suggests Vermont's COVID-19 death rate is high compared to other states. What's the story? So by the time Melanie and I chatted, the death rates of about a dozen or so other states had actually surpassed ours. And what Melanie really wanted to know about was the advanced directives Levine had talked about. Those documents and conversations people have about what kinds of interventions they do and don't want at the end of life. Here's the question she asked me. I am wondering how advanced healthcare directives are affecting treatment and outcomes for COVID-19 patients in Vermont. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Back in late March, Vermont's case fatality rate or deaths per COVID patient, did stand out. Take March 27th, the day Commissioner Levine made the comments about advanced directives. That day, Vermont had the highest death rate in the country, 
More than 5% of Vermont's known COVID-19 patients had died. In Maine and New Hampshire, fewer than 1% of COVID patients had passed away. You know, initially that is high because of the outbreaks in long-term care facilities and other vulnerable populations. Jesse Hammond is the public health statistics manager at the Vermont Department of Health. And she says it's not just that COVID-19 spreads fast in places like care facilities. You know, they're in a care facility because of their health, um, which would put them at a greater risk for death. Since then, Vermont's case fatality rate has remained steady, while other states, including our neighbors, have gone up. Now our death rate ranks 14th of the 50 states. And of course, lots of factors affect this number. If the disease only occurs in nursing homes, the number will be really high. If it spreads in younger, healthier populations, the death rate will go down. Widespread testing influences the number. Our question asker, Melanie, wants to know if advanced planning is leading patients to forgo potentially life-saving interventions, bumping up the death rate as a result. It was Thursday, April 2nd, when UVM Medical Center's head of palliative medicine, Bob Gramling, got a call from the head of geriatrics. Birchwood Terrace, a 144-bed skilled nursing facility in Burlington, was on the brink of a major outbreak. The doctor told Gramling there were patients with symptoms of COVID-19 across the facility. He was saying, you know, this, could, this could grow fast, and if so, we, we might need your help to be on the ground with us um, to take care of these people. In a place like Birchwood, Grambling knew how fast this disease can take lives and sideline staff. So he started calling colleagues. Four days later, a spiritual health worker, five palliative care specialists, and about eight RNs from UVM Medical Center began their deployment to Birchwood. They were there more than anything else to have conversations with patients and their families. The specialists asked the Birchwood residents, if you got COVID-19 and it got bad, Would you want to go to the hospital, even if interventions there might not help? I don't know of other places in the country that have done this. Um, It is quite possible it has happened. Um, But yes, it it is a rare event, if not a unique event. The team even had an RV on campus. Two members were there 24-7. You know, what we don't want to have happen is, is adding suffering to people that don't want it. Anne Laramie is one of the nurse practitioners on the team that deployed to Birchwood. She tends to answer questions with anecdotes. She says on her first day at Birchwood, she met a gentleman who had tested positive for COVID-19, but didn't have any symptoms. He was a delightful guy, really loved by the um, staff there. He liked to play trivia. He called his siblings every single day. That first day, Laramie got to know his advanced directive. It clearly stated that he did not want to be resuscitated or intubated. But she knew there were other things the hospital could do that might be helpful. So she got to know him. She learned that he considered Birchwood a home. And that the thing he lived for most were his daily phone calls with his siblings. Part of advanced planning is getting to know these things. What does someone live for? and what constitutes suffering for them. A couple days later, the man's oxygen saturation dropped. Even though he still felt fine, he was now at risk of sudden respiratory failure. 
They put him on oxygen at the nursing home. But Laramie needed to know if they should bring him to the hospital. Having met him for a couple days now, I sat down and, and um, said I, I needed to, to talk to him about something serious. She told him again how fast symptoms could come on and that people were dying. She asked him, would he want to go to the hospital, knowing he might die there? She says he thought quietly for a long time. So he basically was a not answer, but he wasn't saying he wanted to go to the hospital. The next day, she went back to speak with him. Again, he was needing oxygen, but not feeling any symptoms. I asked him again about our conversation yesterday. You know, how did that, how did that feel? And, and, and he, he sat again for a long time just looking and, and thinking. And he said, you're not going to make me go to the hospital, are you? Laramie says she did her best to make sure they understood each other. This disease can take a quick turn for the worse, and there was a small chance being at the hospital could extend his life. But it was also likely if he went, he could die there, away from the caretakers he knows and loves. That evening, she says, he video chatted with his siblings for hours. They were still going at 7 when she went home. They were still talking, they were sharing photos, and... um That night, um, his symptoms rapidly changed. Um, And by the time I got there in the morning, he had actually died. It happened that quickly. All of the 28 COVID-positive and presumed positive patients who got seriously ill at Birchwood decided to stay there and not to go to the hospital. 20 passed away at the nursing home. Eight survived. What was remarkable about the palliative care team's arrival was it allowed patients and families to discuss the disease and their preferences early, before residents had symptoms or needed urgent care. At another nursing home, Burlington Health and Rehab, which had the first outbreak, 11 patients died after getting COVID-19. Only three chose to go to the hospital. A spokesperson for that facility says the center's providers discuss patients' end-of-life care with them every three months, and they did so during the outbreak as well. As for whether patients' decisions about end-of-life care are affecting Vermont's death rate, like Commissioner Levine suggested early on, that's still unclear. The default in our health care system is to do everything. This is Anne Laramie again. I suppose that, you know, if we're asking people and giving, having them participate in decision-making, they're going to choose a, a path that maybe they wouldn't have if they weren't asked. Maybe. But, you know, there's no treatment to COVID. So, you know, the people that are surviving with, you know, after being intubated are, I don't know what the, the stats are, but it's not very many. Um, So in many ways, we don't have a choice. Um, Their body's going to do what it's going to do. For Brave Little State, I'm Emily Corwin. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Melanie Pieser for the great question. If you have a question about coronavirus in Vermont or anything else, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our occasional newsletter. 
This episode was produced by Emily Corwin with editing from Mark Davis. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from John Billingsley. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Dr. Katie Oriema at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and from VPR's sustaining members. You can support us at bravelittlestate.org donate. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at BraveStateVT. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with this winning question from Bruce Post of Essex. I've always heard the litany that Vermont is so expensive. I'm wondering, is that true? And how do we compare to other states? Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.